I'm John French, an elder here at CCC, and this is what Romans 10.9 says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, welcome to the weekly services here at Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're here with me, whether you're here in the West service or watching over in the East service or watching online. Thanks for being with us. The host in every one of our services this weekend is leading us to celebrate what God has done at Wingfoot Church in Goodyear Heights. I'm super excited about that as part of our church planting team. Uh, I think it's amazing to look backwards and to see all that God has done to bring about a church that is standing on its own two feet in Goodyear Heights. But it's also exciting to look forward and see what God is going to do in the other neighborhoods in which we're working. In fact, with that in mind, I want to remind you that tonight, tonight at 5 p.m., there's a preview service for The Grove, which is the church we're going to be planning, Lord willing, next year in Shaker Heights, right over in East Hall. So I really want to invite you to come out. It is after the Browns game and before the snow will start, okay? So you are without excuse. Please be here. Your presence, your smiling face is going to mean the world to them. I'm telling you, as a guy who's planted the church, a full room is going to be rocket fuel for them and their team as they move towards planting a church. So I know you might think it doesn't matter if you are there. You are wrong. Okay, I want them to have to pull chairs from the back and put more chairs out because so many of us are there. I'm going to be there, and it will personally mean a lot to me if you are there as well. More importantly, it's going to mean a lot to Ray and Nicole and their team that is going. So please, 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 please be here at 5 p.m. over in East Hall. If you're watching online, come in person tonight at 5 p.m. to check out what God is doing. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. I'm also excited to continue our sermon series looking at the book of Romans, 10 Sentences to Change Your Life, 10 sentences in this book capturing the spirit of the book that we believe if we were to really grab hold of these sentences to believe what they tell us, it will change, it would change, it will change our lives. So if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and take it out and open it up to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Take out your phone, scroll to Romans 10, verse 9. If you're watching online, open that web browser and pull up Romans 10, 9. As you're turning or scrolling or clicking, uh, let me hold out the outline I'm going to use to help us make sense of this sentence. Three points, and they go like this. Why become a Christian? What does it mean to become a Christian? And how do you know if you're ready? Okay, why become a Christian? What does it mean to become a Christian? And how to know if you're ready? Let me say a couple things before I get started. One is, uh, if you're here and you are not already a Christian, and I've met many of you that are coming, and I love hearing your stories. I love seeing how excited you are to think about and discover God's love for you, made available to you in Jesus. I'm so glad you feel comfortable coming. You are always welcome here. Your questions, your doubts, your concerns, they're always welcome here. You're, you're so welcome here that I think I'm sometimes a little concerned that maybe we miss an opportunity to kind of challenge you to make a decision. And I just want you to know, if you're here and you're considering Christianity this week, I'm going to push you to make a decision, okay? Not personally, not aggressively, but passionately, I am going to push you to make a decision. In fact, we are baptizing as part of our services 
next week. And I've asked them to have another baptism class this week because I believe there are some of you here that are going to meet Jesus this weekend and be baptized this upcoming Sunday. Okay, that is what I believe is going to happen. So if right now that sounds crazy to you, let's just see what God does. See me after the service and we can talk about how crazy it is. But I want you to know, this is a week for you to actively consider making a decision for Jesus. But if you're here and you're a Christian, I, I, I don't want you to hear my outline and think, oh, uh, I should opt out of this sermon. It doesn't have anything for me. Let me challenge you in two ways. One is, it is inescapably true in the Bible that what God wants from his people is to talk with those around them about Jesus. It is our mission to talk about Jesus with those around us. That's probably intimidating to you. It probably sounds really hard for you. So I want you to consider this sermon as an example of how you might do that. Maybe when you're listening and taking notes, that's what you're scribbling down. Here's how I would explain this, or here's how I would communicate this to those around me. But the second thing is, one of the other things that, that the Bible makes true is that one day we're all going to stand before God and there are going to be some on that day who think they have one relationship with God, but discover they have another one. And I don't want that to be you. And so I think it's right when we talk about what it means to be a Christian that you ask yourself, is this really true of me? No matter what label you came in wearing, no matter what your background to say, is this really true? true of me. And so those are two ways that I hope you'll be listening, even though you might have thought this sounds like a sermon for non-Christians, even though it is that, because that is the heart of our God. And I hope to do that and share that well. So three points. Let me start with the first one. Why become a Christian? If you look with me at the verse, Romans 10.9, at the very end, you see something that I want to talk about. Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's those last couple of words, you will be saved. The idea that is implicitly there is that you need to be saved, that there is something from which you must be saved, that the only reason the idea of being saved would be appealing to me or to you is if there was something from which we needed to be saved, and, and, and there is. And that is something that the Bible tells us that one day we are all going to die, and we're going to stand before God, and he is going to judge us. He's going to decide whether or not we are deserving of eternity with him or without him. And the Bible makes clear that the default setting of each one of us is that that judgment will not go well for us. That God's judgment for us is not good news to us. That one day you and I will die and we will stand before God and we were born into a world and had lived lives in that world so that we should expect God's judgment will be against us and not for us. It's that day of judgment that Paul has in mind here saying you will be saved. Now, I understand in our culture that might not hit you well. So let, let's think about this for a minute. I'm sure you're aware of this reality that our world is broken, okay? Our world is broken. In fact, if you don't think our world is broken, I will be forced to assume you do not own a television, you do not have access to the internet, you for sure are not on social media, 
And when you leave here, you will go back to your cave and close your rock door and continue to hide. That's because to live in our world is to know that it's broken, to turn on the news, to get on social media, to interact with those around us. Our world is irreparably damaged. And the Bible tells us that that is because our world lives in rebellion to God. You remember that we talked about a few weeks ago, the wages of sin is death, the book of Romans tells, tells us, which means that when we live in rebellion to God, the consequence of that is things wither, things die, things begin to disintegrate. That is the state of our world. Our world is broken. And if there's a God, and if he is good at all, he has to care about the brokenness of this world. And if he's good, and if he cares about the brokenness of this world, he has to desire to fix it, to change it, to overcome it. And so what we tend to wonder is, why is it not that God just makes like a button, and, and if he presses the button, all the brokenness of this world would go away? But here's what you need to understand. The world is broken because we are broken. The world is broken because I am broken. I was born into a broken world, that's true. And, and other people's brokenness has shaped part of my story. We're born to broken parents and, and, and live lives with broken employers and spouses and children. But I also am broken. I also have allowed my brokenness to harm others. So that if God were to push a button and that button would eradicate all the decay and all the brokenness and all the disrepair in our world, if he pushed that button, I would evaporate. And so would you. There's no way in which God could push that button and you and I not disintegrate because if he allowed us to stay, our brokenness would spread. That's the story of our lives. So the Bible tells us that there is a God. He passionately cares about this world. He is brokenhearted and grieved by its brokenness. And he desires to eradicate the brokenness and to put the world back together. And because of that, because of his goodness, because of his love, because of his attentiveness, that puts he and I at odds. I am a rebel that he must deal with. I'm a cancerous agent that he must aim at, and so are you. See, God's judgment isn't antithetical to his love. It comes out of his love. See, the more in tune you are with who you really are, the more you realize that, that if God were to answer the prayers of everyone who prayed, some of those prayers are for him to take care of you. Because you and I have wounded people. You and I have victims. You and I have people who would cry out to God because of us. And so the Bible tells us that there is a day of judgment coming because God does care, because he is paying attention, because it does matter to him. And that day of judgment is not good news for you, and it is not good news for me. So the answer to the question, why become a Christian, is that the starting point of becoming a Christian is the realization that if there is a God and if he's going to judge me, I need some way of escape. I need some hope, some, some mechanism whereby I could believe that when I stand before God and his judgment, it will go well for me. 
And how do I find that? And that leads me to my second point, which is to say, what does it mean to become a Christian? I wonder what you think when you hear that question. What does it mean to become a Christian? I've been doing this job, ministry, for 15 years. I've met a lot of people who are not Christians, who did not grow up in a Christian home or not from a Christian background. And it always amazes me and, and honestly breaks my heart a little bit what they think it means to become a Christian. I mean, I've heard people tell me, well, if I become a Christian, to become a Christian, that means I need to vote this way or, or dress this way or cut my hair this way or, or live life this way. And, and the reason why we tend to think those things is because we find someone around us who is a Christian and we say, okay, they're a Christian, so if I wanted to become a Christian, I need to become like them. I would have to become like them. But I want you to notice in this verse that all of that stuff is conspicuously absent. Instead, there's one thing here that has to be true for you to become a Christian. One thing, just one. Look at what it says. Romans 10, verse 9 comes in the second half of the verse. Look at what he says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, we're going to get to that in a minute, and listen to this, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is what it means to become a Christian. It means to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I might just add real quick that it says to believe that in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And, and in our culture, when we believe things in our heart, we start thinking of Disney and princesses and Jiminy Cricket and that kind of stuff because the heart to us is, is about emotion, but not, not here. Not in this culture. In this culture, the heart is the center of your being. It, it, it's the core of who you are. So what he's really saying is, deep down in who you really are and what you really hold is true, you need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't have time to defend the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to you. It can be done. I just don't have time. So what I have done is brought the copy of the book that I think is the best on the subject. It's N.T. Wright's The Resurrection of the Son of God. You can see it is very thick, okay? So if you think, I just can't believe that a guy literally physically rose from the dead, I, 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 that just can't be true, you should read this book. If you're really serious about not just choosing to believe it didn't happen, but to really study the, the data, you should read this book. You can't have this copy because I took this from Pastor Joe's office, but, but you can come up afterwards and take a picture and Amazon it. This book is great. I commend it to you. I don't have time to do that. So let's just assume for a second that it is true. Here's what I want you to see. That in every other religion, the question of how can you be saved is a really long answer. But in Christianity, it's just this. You just have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And you might think, that's it? I mean, the Bible is a really big book, and that's it? One thing that he rose from the dead? But you really got to think it through. So Jesus said his kingdom was like a mustard seed, a little tiny seed that doesn't look that impressive, but you plant it in the ground, and all of a sudden a big tree comes out, big enough for animals to make their home in. You see, belief in the resurrection leads to and necessitates beliefs in other things. Like, for example, let me just give you four things that if you believed in the resurrection, it would mean. Here's one. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it means you have to believe everything that he said prior to that was true. It authenticates the life and ministry and message 
of Jesus. When Jesus raises from the dead, that is a great thing to have in your resume when you claim to be who Jesus claims to be. You see, Jesus said that he was the son of God. Jesus said that he was God in the flesh. He said in John 14, 6, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could ever get to God except through him. Now, that is a, that is a really crazy and offensive thing to say up until the point at which you raise from the dead. Because when you raise from the dead, you say, see, I told you, I really am God. I really did come so that you could know who God is. And it is me and only me, seeing as how we have a club of people who raised from the dead and it's a club of one. It really is me that you have to come to if you want to understand God. Belief in the resurrection necessitates going back and saying, well, what else did Jesus teach? What else did he say? That he's the son of God, that he's the only way to have a relationship with God, that he's the only way to understand God, that it is him who makes God knowable to us. The resurrection, faith in the resurrection requires faith in the ministry and message of Jesus. The second thing that it does is it requires faith in what Jesus said his death would accomplish. In other words, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, meaning death is not natural. It is an intrusion into our world. It is a consequence of our rebellion before God. When we rebelled against God, first with Adam and Eve, and then every other person who's lived, death entered into our world. That's why death, by the way, is final. I'm going to a funeral later today, and one of the more difficult things about funerals is that that person isn't getting back up. So when you had relationship with that person, you remember every conversation that you had. That was the last conversation. That was the last time we ever did this. It was the last time I spoke to that person, the last time we went for a walk, the last time we, and so on and so forth. That's part of the pain. Maybe that's in some ways the, the, the biggest pain of death is the finality of it. And the Bible tells us that dead people stay dead because death is a consequence of sin. When Jesus raises from the dead, the significance of that is it means that Jesus gets back up because he had no sin. Sin did not have a final claim on Jesus. He, his punishment could not be death being final because he was not a sinner. But then that begs the question, well, if he wasn't a sinner and the consequence of sin is death, why did he die? But if you go back to the ministry and message of Jesus, what you'll find is that he told us why he came to die that he came to go to the cross and to have God take the sin of all who would believe, the sin of the church, and to put it onto Jesus so that Jesus could willingly, lovingly receive the punishment of death for that sin so that when he rose from the dead, he could say to all of us, if you believe, if you grab hold of me in faith, if you claim my life and my death and my resurrection, then your penalty for sin has already been paid so that when we stand before God on the day of judgment, Jesus will say, this person was a rebel. This person was broken. This person was a sinner. This person deserves death. And yet I paid the penalty for them. See, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus is to believe that his death can count for us. 
his life for us, his righteousness for us, so that we become acceptable to God, not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of what he has already done. Now, the third thing that belief in the resurrection means is it changes how I feel about myself. One of the most amazing things about the resurrection is that the absolute worst thing that can happen to me or be true of me is death. So if Jesus can overcome death, if he can reverse death, if Jesus is stronger than death, then there is nothing that is true of me or nothing that I could face in life that he is not greater than, which means I have to rethink how I think about my addictions, my broken relationships, my character flaws, because no matter how I do the math, there is no situation in my life that is greater or stronger or more powerful or more final than death. So that if Jesus can overcome death, there is nothing I can't, I can bring him that he can't handle, that he can't reverse, that he can't overcome. And by the way, number four, that's not just true for me, that's true for the world. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. Not I will one day, but I am. I've started. I'm going to keep doing it. I will keep doing it until the work is done. Listen, to believe in the resurrection, I think, is to become relentlessly optimistic. Not cynical, not jaded, but optimistic. Because the one who overcame death has now turned his attention to our world and he will not stop working until it is new. Not in my life and not beyond me. Listen, that's why if you're here and you're not a Christian, all it takes to become a Christian is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And yet belief and the resurrection of Jesus leads you inevitably to the conclusion that what he taught matters and what he did matters, and what he's doing matters, and what he will do matters. It is an invitation to rethink everything about the world, everything about yourself, to become in the face of brokenness, relentlessly optimistic, because the biggest thing the world can throw at you is death, and he's already defeated that. Young people, listen to me. Christianity is not cynical. It's not jaded. You should reject that version of Christianity if those ahead of you try to pass it down to you. It is relentlessly optimistic. Behold, I am making all things new. You, me, and everything else. In other words, Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch theologian said, there is not a square inch of the universe over which Jesus cannot rightfully say, mine. Christians are those who say, I'm not waiting for that day when he declares that. I'm giving him every square inch I can give him now because I have seen what he does with death and decay and problems and brokenness. So if you've been coming throughout this Roman series, and you've been excited. I love to meet you when you say, hey, I've been coming and I'm not even a Christian and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it and I'm so excited. And, but I feel as though, that's great, I love that. And I love to meet you and I love when you tell me that. I know Joe loves it too. But I would be remiss if I didn't say to you, do you believe this? Are you ready to grab hold of this? Are you ready to say, amen, I believe.
He rose from the dead. That changes everything. But if you're here and you're a Christian brother or sister in Christ, this is a little off topic, but let me just ask you, are you relentlessly optimistic? In a culture that is selling you cynicism because it sells. Cynicism and tribalism. The world is broken. Come hang out with us. Christianity says in the face of brokenness, behold, I am making all things new. When we are cynical, it is because we are doubting the one who says that. That should not be who we are. You might be thinking, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Maybe I do. I think I do. How do I know? Here's my third point. How do you know you're ready? How do you know? How do you know you're ready to be a Christian? Or if you claim to be a Christian, maybe you might say, how do I know that I'm genuine? Well, he tells us here in Romans 10. I know I'm going out of order with the way the verse is written. I don't think I'm going out of order logically. I think the grammatical syntax of this paragraph makes him say it the way he says it. But here's what he says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The reason why I think it's right to talk about faith before confession is what Jesus said. When Jesus said, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Right? So Jesus is saying words come from our hearts. So, so here's what I think Paul is saying. A heart that is overflowing with faith in the resurrection of Christ produces always, always, inevitably, inescapably, a mouth that is confessing him as Lord. This is how you know you're ready. Not just that you believe Jesus rose from the dead, but because of that, you are eager to give him the keys to your life. You are eager to crown him as Lord. Now listen, you already get this. You already do this. Think about going to the hospital for surgery, okay? And the surgeon says to you, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you heavy narcotics to put you to sleep. And then while you're asleep, I'm gonna cut open your body and take something out and put something else in. And you look at her and say, that's crazy, right? And it is crazy. Why would you ever let someone do that? Why would you give her the authority to knock you out and cut open your body and replace things? The answer to that is because you are convinced because of her credentials and her skills and your need that it is in your best interest to give her control. When I lived in Cleveland, I, I went to CrossFit. You know, the first rule of CrossFit is you have to tell everybody you're doing it. And I remember walking in my very first day and on the whiteboard there in the gym was a list of workouts. And I looked at the instructor and said, is that what we're doing this week? And he said, that's what we're doing today. <laughs> and I had this moment where I thought, you know, how much control am I willing to give this guy, <laughs> right? Is he gonna destroy me or is he gonna get me into shape? I had to decide if I was gonna give him the authority to whip my body into shape. Listen, belief in the resurrection Here's how you know you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Not because you say so, not because you grew up in church, not because you call yourself a Christian, but because you are eager to hand over the keys to Jesus Christ. Because you say, I have become convinced that you are capable even of overcoming death and that wherever death is, you produce life. Here's what I know about my, this is what it means to be a Christian. Here's what I know, Jesus. Everything I'm in charge of withers. Everything you're in charge of comes alive. So not like a surgeon where you say to your surgeon, listen, if I wake up and have a tattoo, we have a problem. I'm giving you limited authority, right? If I go to CrossFit and he tries to give me investment advice, we have a problem. 
He has limited authority. We go to Jesus and we say, there is not a single area of my life over which you cannot invade, speak into, change, develop, deploy, because you are the king of the universe. You are the one who is making all things new. And if you are in the business of making things new, please start with me. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's how you know you're ready. And if that's not your heart, then it doesn't matter what you mean when you say you're a Christian. It's not what the New Testament means. And I don't say that to offend you. I say that because the Bible tells me on the day of judgment, there are going to be some who said, but I thought, but I thought, but I thought, and I feel like it's part of my job to make sure you're not one of them. But if you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you're wondering, am I ready? The question is, have you found in Jesus something so compelling and life and eternity altering that you're ready to hand him the keys? This is why in Christianity, we culminate this in baptism. Baptism is a sign that you are ready. I imagine you're here thinking the last thing I want to do is get up in front of a bunch of strangers and get wet. But that's kind of the point, isn't it? Baptism is a sign that I'm not doing what I want to do anymore. I had a lifetime of doing what I wanted to do and it produced a mess. I'm doing what he wants. And even getting in the baptism waters is saying to him, I want everyone to know you're my Lord and I don't know what you're gonna do with this. I don't know if you're gonna use my story, my life, my example to connect with somebody else, but it's yours. Do with it what you will. Listen, listen, I wanna tell you this. If you're here and you call yourself a Christian and you've never been baptized, I've asked them to do a baptism class this week. I want you in that class. He is your Lord, and he said, go into all the nations and make disciples and baptize them. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be. It's a confession of him as Lord. But if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, now is the time I'm asking you. I'm so glad you're coming. I'm so glad you feel welcome. And if you're not ready, you're welcome next week and the week after and the week after in perpetuity. But today is the day I believe God is saying to you, now, now you believe. Now you're ready. Give Jesus the keys. Let's just read it one more time, and then we'll pray. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this gospel, which is true because of what you've done and because of who you are. Thank you for the gift of your son who lived and died and rose from the dead. Jesus, thank you that you are making all things new. Holy Spirit, do what I cannot do. Take this truth and work it into hearts and minds. All for your glory and the good of my neighbors who are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.